The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. All right, in business school, I learned when you get GDP contractions two quarters in a row, that's a recession. Now people are telling me, not so fast. We've got a strong consumer. We've got everybody's kind of got a job if they want one. The wages are going up a little bit. I don't know. But let's bring in a, somebody who does this for a living. Russell Price, he's a chief economist. He used to have a real job as an equity research analyst. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, but now he's going over to we the dark side. We should point out that Bloomberg Financial has picked yes. him as the best um, well, one of the best, one of the most accurate economic forecasters in our benchmark consensus survey. Yeah, and he's so. at Ameriprise Financial. And most importantly, he joins us live here in a Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio. So, Russell, the economy, I, I, I know we've got a lot of headwinds out there. And I know we've got some GDP data that suggests we're in a recession. But some people are telling me not so fast. How do you think about it? You know, I think it's much more important just to look at the overall data rather than trying to label it, whether okay. it's a recession or not a recession. Either way you look at it. The economy, uh, it's slowed down and uh, is likely to slow further. So I think we'll probably be right around the uh, break-even point for a couple of quarters. Uh, we could slip into uh, portions where consumer activity and business uh, investment spending are actually negative. Uh, they, they haven't been there quite yet. Consumers have are very strong. So um, uh, I think it's really based on the numbers. We're not in a recession yet, but we could yet still be. It, uh, you know, to me, it's highlighted the difference in real and nominal GDP. So my whole life, we've focused on real GDP, but apparently in my dad's day, you know, they focused on nominal GDP. And I realized that um, you can, the distinction is elementary, it's just inflation. But you can also interpret um, nominal GDP growth to mean, you know, we have an incredible amount of demand here. You know, Paul and I have been hearing all year that this inflation is all caused by the supply side and the Fed can't do anything about it. And lately, economists have been telling us, you know, maybe this still strong nominal growth means that there's a pretty big demand component to this inflation. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think uh, demand is very strong. It, it goes to show um, just how strong it is that the real uh, consumer spending data in the GDP report has still been positive. So in other words, what that means is consumers are spending above and beyond the increase in prices that they're experiencing via inflation. So um, again, it goes to show just how strong consumers are. And uh, so I far, always spend as much as I can. Yeah. <laughs> Usually about 20 good. to 25% more than I earn. That's right. my, that's my, that's your strategy. Yeah. That's my rule. <laughs> Personal financial. Well, look, you know, Mary Daly at the San Francisco Fed um, the other day, I think she was in an interview with Reuters. She said, um, I don't feel the pain of inflation anymore. This is a direct quote, by the way, Paul. Okay. She said, I see prices rising, but I have enough that I can make substitutions. I can do things. Um, you know, she's saying she makes enough. 
But of course, she gets paid $422,000 and then has some pretty good investments as well. Are there pe people in this country who are really being hit hard and hurt by inflation? Oh, sure. Absolutely. The people that spend the, the bulk of their uh, income on daily necessities and uh, certainly for housing, if, uh, if, for rent, and certainly for gasoline and, and household utilities. Household utilities is kind of a under the radar to, uh, inflation component because it's been going up at a strong pace and is likely to go up even further because natural gas prices are rising. And about 38% of the uh, United States households uh, get uh, 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 electricity is generated via natural gas. So where, no matter how you heat your home coming in the winter, is still going to be a higher price, and that's going to squeeze people still yet. I tell you, this is going to be a huge story, Matt, in Europe uh, coming up with this energy. I mean, we got to stay on top of it. You don't even have to be... wait till winter. My my electric bill last yeah. month was fifteen hundred dollars. Electric and gas together. But if you were in Berlin, like you were recently, it's going to be really ugly coming up this yeah, winter. Yeah, so. well, and if Berliners had air conditioners, it yes. would already be bad. <laughs> That's right. But they choose not to live well. That's right. Russell, talk to us about the, the jobs market. We're going to get a big data point tomorrow. Uh, we had jobs claims came in, uh, you know, uh, in line today, but, you know, showing some some pickup in jobs claims. How do you think about the, the labor market? Yeah, I think there's pockets where we are seeing some actual layoffs, but they're still a relatively modest uh, overall pocket. I don't think we're seeing broad scale um uh, cuts by any means, but we are seeing a slowdown in the pace of hiring. Uh, that was evidenced with the other day, the other day, the jobs, the jolts report. So um, I think that we're going to slow down for the month of July when it's reported. Well, I'm looking for a gain of about 240,000. I do expect the unemployment rate to tick down to 3.5% because the wow. household survey has been flat for a few months, and I think we'll get a little bit of a gain there, uh, which could momentarily drop the unemployment rate but I think it'll probably rise slightly over the second half. And so of the that year. can that gives the Fed basically more ammunition to raise rates. Jim Bullard yesterday said he wants to see um, the rates, the Fed rates, at the end of this year at 375 to four. And we're hearing people forecasting terminal rates at five to six. Uh, they were outliers, but that group is getting bigger and bigger. Is that what you think as well? No, we think that uh, the terminal rate will probably be around somewhere between three and a half and four. So uh, we're a little bit more optimistic. And then that, what? Pause or do they go back down? I think a pause. I think the pause will be a period of time. Uh, I don't think they'll next year. I do not expect them to uh, start to cut once again. But I think uh, over the second half of the year, we will start to see inflation data more broadly. We're already seeing in commodities and, and uh, lumber prices, things like that. We're already seeing in apparel, things like that. We're already seeing those declines, but we need to see it more broadly in the CPI and PCE numbers. And I think by the end of the year, we are going to be seeing that uh, with a couple of months under our belt. All right, Russell. Great, great stuff. Thanks very much for coming in. Uh, Russell Price, Chief Economist for Ameriprise Financial, based in... Troy, Michigan, which is a very nice burb uh, of Detroit. And Russell was just giving us, some, I think, a little bit of an upbeat outlook for those Detroit Lions coming out. So go figure that. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum, powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CutterEconomicForum.com.
right now let's get back to these markets here the S&P off just slightly off about two tenths of one percent we want to bring in Sean Snyder he's head of investment strategy at City U.S. Wealth Management Sean I mean boy we had the S&P off you know a little more than 20 percent and it's Nader we had the uh, NASDAQ off a little bit but more than 30 percent but boy they bounced back pretty well and I guess the question that we ask a lot is simply and I'm sure you're hearing it from your clients is is this bounce back for real or is this just a head fake what do you think First off, uh, good morning. Thank you for having me. I very much appreciate it. Listen, I, I think there's a, a solid reason why the markets are up since mid-June. You have better than expected earnings. You have increasing confidence that inflation is, is maybe finally peaked. Um, I know we've been a little bit like the boy who cried wolf with peak inflation, but it looks like it might actually be here this time. You have a noticeable decline in treasury yields. Uh, you know, Tech stocks were reacting to rising treasury yields, and now they're reacting to them on the way down as well. Uh, and then you have the potential for a less aggressive Fed. So I do think that makes sense for uh, markets to, to move higher. Now, the real question to me is, you know, is the bottom in? And to me, that really depends upon whether we have a recession or not. And I think this idea that we already seen the worst may be wrong. Um, if you ask yourself, you know, recessions tend to last about 11 months on average. Unemployment rate tends to rise by about 2.6%. When you have a recession, are stocks appropriately priced right now for that type of environment? I, I would argue maybe not, but it's, it's going to take some time for this to play out. And we have to see what the Fed does and monetary policy operates with a lag. Uh, so we have to see what happens to economic data in 2023. And I think this is just going to be one of those times where uh, we have to be really patient as investors. What do you think QT means? I mean, when do we start it in earnest and how much of that tighten up financial conditions because they've just gotten looser over the past few weeks. Well, that's right. So with the stock market actually going up, that loosens financial conditions and financial conditions are about as loose as they were back in March. So in some regards, that actually makes the Fed's job a bit more difficult and would actually argue for them to continue to tighten, even though they may wish to kind of pivot at some point. So that does make things difficult. Uh, you know, really is a question about 2023. You know, we head into 2023, inflation is on a downtrend, the economy's holding up. You know, I think the Fed can maybe dial back a little bit, hope that things are, you know, on track for that soft landing. But, you know, it's really going to be difficult if core inflation doesn't start to come down, if shelter prices stay elevated, we continue to see wage growth. And I think the Fed may feel that it has to continue to raise rates into 2023. And I think it's going to be a really interesting story in 2023 because these dual mandates will become dueling mandates where what does the Fed do at that point if unemployment is rising while inflation is staying hot, you know, hotter than hoped for, um, which one takes precedence? And that could add to market volatility. We'll have to wait and see. Sean, we're about 80% of the way through earnings season in terms of the S&P 500 here. A little bit better than expected, I think. What are your takeaways? Uh, it is better than expected. Uh, I think we were expecting about 5.5% uh, EPS growth year on year. It's tracking above that full percentage point, probably 6.5%, 7%. So that's certainly good. My takeaway from earnings and the economic data that we're seeing this week, I know the market rallied on an uptick in the ISM services index, is that to me, it's telling us that we're not in a recession yet. It doesn't confirm to me that one will ultimately be avoided. So I still think I'm being a bit cautious here. Um, but so far, uh, I think the economy is holding up okay. We're continuing to see um, job growth. I think we'll see that again tomorrow. And I think that's positive news and kind of gives the Fed the green light to, you know, tighten a bit more. But, uh, you know, 
getting towards the end of 2022, I think it might be a bit more difficult. Sorry, we've heard that a lot of people um, are holding cash. Is that the case for you and your clients as well? Some of our clients may be holding cash, but as a you know firm, our global investment committee is fully invested. Uh, we're defensively positioned, so we're in areas like dividend growers, healthcare, consumer staples. Um, we also like natural resource stocks. We think that's kind of an inflation hedge. And then, you know, certain pockets of fixed income, U.S. municipals, uh, intermediate duration, investment grade credits. And um, we're basically looking for pockets of opportunity rather than sitting in cash. And, you know, the problem with sitting in cash is in an inflationary environment. If inflation is running at 9.1% and you're in cash, that means you're losing 9.1%. Uh, at least if you're in equities, you know, you get some sort of dividend yield or fixed income, you get some sort of dividend. Um, so I think there's better alternatives. And we really, really do think bonds are back. We think we saw the peak in yields probably earlier this year. So we think fixed income you know, presents an opportunity here that's at least better than sitting in cash. All right, Sean, good stuff. Really appreciate getting a few minutes of your time. Sean Snyder, he's head of investment strategy at this little bank uh, in New York City called Citi. Uh, the U.S. wealth management side of that business here. So uh, bonds are back, so says uh, Mr. Snyder, uh, and they're fully invested there uh, at Citi. Vince Signorella, he's global macro strategist for Bloomberg News. He traded currencies back in the day, traded bonds back in the day. Um, now he is firmly ensconced in his work from home office <laughs> setup, which he has set up like no one else. He doesn't need anybody because he's just done it all. And we love it when he checks in because he has some very interesting calls on these markets. Vince, I know you've been, the way I phrase it to people is Vince Signal has got a very positive kind of view on risk assets. And boy, for the last couple of months, you've been so spot on there. Uh, and I think it was kind of predicated upon the Fed's not going to raise as much as people think. Do you still feel that way? Yeah, I feel very strongly that way. I mean, I've um, still, you know, yeah. as, as I, <laughs> as you guys probably remember, uh, back from I've been a Fed watcher since my college days. I traded through Volcker. Uh, <laughs> I met Paul Volcker. This is not Volcker's inflation that we're fighting. Um, it's um, you know the consumer's getting tapped out. Uh, revolving credits uh, at up 13 percent this year. Uh, wages up five percent. Inflation's up nine percent. It's not keeping chasing their tail a little bit. They're, they made a huge error um, with their transient call. Uh, they're trying to correct that, save some credibility, and I'm I'm afraid they're just going to make another another policy mistake because the consumer is just going to the consumer is going to taper going into the third and fourth quarter. So demand is going to drop to meet supply. We're not going to get this runaway inflation. The Fed seems to think that's going to continue. It's already starting to roll over, dude. And when that happens, when that happens, I think equities, especially the Nasdaq and the tech sector are going to rock. And the short end of the Treasury curve is going to be brilliant because when those expectations drop, those bonds are going to soar. They're, they're up to levels where they see inflation at 3 yeah. percent or rates at 3 percent You, you need to get on a conference call with the bond market, man, because um, <laughs> or Zoltan Pozar, because, you know, it seems like that narrative of the Fed you know, going to three and a half or four and then cutting in like even the first half of 2023 has been flipped on its head over the last week. Now, all of a sudden, everybody's talking about 5% for a terminal rate, even six. And those who are more conservative um, 
still think that the Fed is at least going to pause for the year and not cut. Well, I'm not so sure they're going to cut necessarily. Um, you know, let, let's face it, if they raise rates to three to three and a half percent and you have inflation coming down, inflation is not going to come down to three to three and a half percent by year end. So they're perfectly, you know, in a situation to stay where they are and pause. But I mean, let, let's, you know, look at the yield curve. The, the 10 year yield is not pricing in five, six percent. Fed uh, interest rates or or maintaining inflation with with 38 basis points inverted from the twos. The twos are pricing in three to three and a half percent feds with being just over three percent. But the rest of the curve inverted for a reason that the bond market doesn't believe this this trend for past this year is is going to continue very much. So what I haven't heard recently is stagflation. That was kind of a thing that I had to go back into my little textbook and, and check it out. And but we haven't been talking about that much recently. Had, yeah, had why not? About, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the reason again, when I say this is invokers inflation, uh, I sat in those gas lines with the odd and even license plates. <laughs> what what so, car were you driving back then, Vince? Oh man, it was a 1971 Buick Lesabre that got 11 miles to the gas. Nice. Those gas lines a lot. I was I was in those gas lines a lot. Um, the reason why we had that, and and hopefully the Inflation Reduction Act won't repeat this, is the the White House and Nixon administration imposed price controls, and they thought that they could put price, a cap on prices and therefore cap inflation. But what they did, it wasn't across the board. So, for instance, you had. Uh, a cap on beef prices to keep you know meat prices down for the consumer, but they didn't cap the grain prices uh, for the ranchers. So the, they could no longer raise cattle at a profit, so they stopped. And what happened? Prices went through the roof because of the supply-demand issue. So unless the administration makes the same foolish mistake as they did in the 70s, this isn't that, that kind of inflation. The demand will slow. It will come back to balance. We're already starting to. By the way, that's an interesting point, Vince. You know, so many people at the, um, well, for the last you know six months have been saying this is all about the supply side and the Fed can't do anything about it. And then I heard, um, I believe Paul and Tom were talking to Michael Darda a couple of days ago, and he said, "Look, nominal growth is really high, and to me, that signals that demand is a huge part of the problem." Do you think that's the case? Yeah, but I think it's going to slow. I mean, we saw mortgage rates today drop below 5% for the first time in April. Um, you know, the housing market's beginning to slow, and that's where I think, the, you know, what people miss is the consumer's real wealth is in their homes these days. Most of them aren't invested in the stock market. So if prices start to come down, or, or we're starting to see in the real estate market here in the Northeast, what we're seeing is sales decline. So we're not really seeing prices come down yet, but we're starting to see a decline in sales. Naturally, what will follow is a decline in prices. And when the U.S. consumers see that, and they see that their wages aren't keeping up with inflation, I mean, no one's getting a 9%, 10% raise this year to stay with stay uh, to keep up with that, that pace and it's likely going to be pretty uh, high next year as well so at some point when you see revolving credit up 13 percent on a, a in a year that's a consumer that's really tapped out and i just don't see that as lasting for a very very long time vince you know here at bloomberg radio and tv we make a big day out of jobs day and tomorrow's jobs day what are you looking for what do you it's the granddaddy of all economic statistics exactly that's how you guys play yeah. it i'm in i'm all in what are you what are you looking for vince well, see, this is the thing, and I have a, I disagree once again with the, with the majority opinion on this. The jobs numbers are, are, will definitely begin to slow, 
And that's because they're a lagging indicator. And when I keep seeing the Fed talk about a strong job market, I, I want to go back and like throw my economic textbooks at somebody because we are going to see jobs slow, but it's going to lag the rest of the economy. Inevitably, we're starting to see the job cuts are, are left and right from some of the major corporations. There was an announcement again this morning of another major corporation cutting jobs. It is going to slow. Mm-hmm. And my fear is that the Fed is walking into some kind of like a, a bear trap where you're going to raise rates, but job slowing being a lagging indicator, it's already going to be too late. The economy is going to roll over. Right. All right, Vince. Good stuff. As always, we got the bullish call on stocks and risk assets. He's been consistently making that call for the last a uh, couple of months there, um, and uh, he's been right. So By the and way, he's sticking with it. He's, you know, no, no waiver in that voice. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. You know, some of the news that's coming across the tape over the last few days just kind of makes me chuckle a little bit coming out of Wall Street because it just seems like it was just weeks slash months ago that we were seeing stories about how Wall Street couldn't hire people fast enough and they couldn't pay their incoming analysts and associates enough and raising, uh, you know, salaries every other week. It yeah, you like- were like you were asking every banker that came on the show, like, did you go into your manager's office and exactly. demand a double, a double, double bonus, you know? And now we've got stories like the exact opposite. We're talking about cutting jobs, plunging bonus pools. Um, I got to get to the bottom of this. We can do that with Hannah Levitt, finance reporter for Bloomberg News. She joins us live. Yes, live in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio. We appreciate that. Hannah, what's going on on Wall Street? I mean, I know it's a yo-yo ball, pay, pay a lot, pay terrible, pay a lot. Where are we now and what are the banks telling you? Hey, yeah, thank you for having me. Um, so it looks like bonuses, especially for the investment bankers, are set to be way down this year. And as you mentioned, last year was this, you know, crazy onslaught of deals and war for talent and they couldn't, yep. you know, pay people enough and get enough people to, you know, work there and do their deals. And now the tides have clearly turned. Um, there's been a massive slowdown, I think something like 40 some percent uh, drop in investment banking revenue at the big five banks and you know with that the bonuses will not be what they were uh last year yeah i'm looking at ma go uh right now and i see that you know we're already in august um but it's only 2.3 trillion dollars worth of total m a and a lot of that 1.1 trillion is pending so who knows if it's going to actually happen um why the big slowdown this year you know, I think it's actually really interesting if you look at it um, and you look at how trading has been good. And it's the sa- it's two sides of the same coin, right? Because there's been all this, you know, persistent inflation, recession fears, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, all these things that have led to a lot of, uh, you know, market moves, market turmoil, uh, uncertainty. And people don't want to do deals in that kind of uncertainty. And so it gets, you know, really on pause. But then on the flip side of that, you see the trading results have been up and, and that'll be like kind of a lone bright spot uh, bonus wise as of now they're looking to be up a bit. So by the know, way, I just wanted to yeah. just for, for clarity on what we saw last yep. year, more than $5 trillion yeah. in deals in the full year. And even in, um, you know, the first COVID year of 2020, we saw three and a half trillion. So we really need, 
well, we're not going to eclipse last year, and we're probably not going to even match 2020, which is insane because that's when everybody had to work from home. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the work – I mean, tell us, you know, where are where is Wall Street on the work from home? Because we had so many different – messages coming out of the big names the big ceos on wall street it was got to get back in the office mm-hmm. yeah. ubs saying no and and you know saying no you can and city saying no we'll be flexible mm-hmm. kind of where, how's it evolved you know it's interesting because if, if we had been having the same conversation a year ago um i could have spent you know five ten minutes walking through how each of the different firms was approaching it slightly differently and you know something more flexible than others really it is not um something that I even hear about from sources anymore. It's like they're, you know, they're in the office. Some are, you know, five days, some are three days. But the point is, like, it is it it is what it is at this point where it's kind of a non-negotiable. I mean, people will be grumbling about it a little bit. But, right. Um, Paul grumbles about it every day. Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. And David Solomon probably does, too. But that doesn't change the fact that um, his bankers want flexibility. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, I think something that'll be interesting to watch is do bankers and the people demanding flexibility still hold the chips when we're in recession then there are job cuts and things like that um yeah that's gonna be interesting to see when you know if and when this economy does go into a recession the balance of power not just on wall street but just across the economy which had been decidedly Mm -hmm. in employees favor um which is not the norm, I don't think. Um, which Certainly is, not in the last 20, 30 years. Right. And now if you go into recession, is that going to switch back and employers are going to be like, okay, kids, back in the office. Well, um, yeah. you know. I think it's very different for for bankers than it is for factory workers on yep. the floor at sure. Deer. Sure. Right? Yep. Because there still isn't enough stuff. Yeah. So we need them. We still need flight attendants. We still need, you know, all of those, uh, the service people as well. But bankers, it seems like... Uh, they're, um, you know, not as necessary anymore. Absolutely. I mean, we were hearing about these crazy, like, multi-million dollar packages and stuff just, I mean, months ago. That was the state of affairs and, like, you know, everyone poaching everyone from everywhere, um, getting all these competing offers. And now it's like... First year salaries are going up to yeah. 100, then 110, then 120. Exactly. Like, in, a, in the span of weeks or months. But now, I mean, clearly... You know, even during earnings, which was a couple of weeks ago, banks were talking about focusing on costs. And yes. When when you're focusing on costs, that does not mean that. Well, back in the day, focusing on costs meant the town car. That was the first thing to go. <laughs> the town car home from work was the first thing to go. Are they still, is Wall Street still losing talent to private equity? It seems like those first year analysts come in and they barely are there and they're already being interviewing for some of these PE jobs. Yeah, or, I mean, or, or crypto. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, the, the PE that's that's absolutely still a dynamic. I think crypto um, maybe less so today versus a year ago or even a couple months ago. Um, but yeah, interesting, interesting. Yeah, you know, so it's interesting. So we'll see how that plays out. But you know, headcount—that's one of the expenses. Uh, certainly the one that they can manage aggressively, both on the upside and the downside. So we'll see how that plays out. Um, on Wall Street, Hannah Levitt, finance reporter for Bloomberg News, joining us with that reporting. Again, big, big changes on Wall Street. The profits uh, engine there, a lot of it from the banking side, the new issuance side, both in equity and fixed income, as we've seen from the results from the big banks, uh, you know, trailing where they were last year and even in uh, 2020 as well. And so what do you do? You take a look at the cost line. Lots going on out in the world. Let's bring in our next guest, Mei Mei Hu, uh, CEO and co-founder of Vaccinity. Vaccinity is a 
Uh, publicly traded company trades under the symbol VAXX on the NASDAQ. So if you punch that into your Bloomberg professional service. Uh, May May, thanks so much for joining us here. I'd love for you to guys, if you would just kind of give us a quick overview of what you're doing at Vaccinity right now. Yeah, great, great to be here, Paul. Um, so yeah, Vaccinity is a, obviously a vaccine development company, and our mission is really to bring the efficiency of vaccines to chronic diseases. Um, and we decided to uh, use our technology to go after COVID as well, uh, particularly a next generation COVID booster, um, just to show the breadth and depth of the, the technology. But, um, you know, we want to bring convenient, impactful, transformative medicines to the world. Well, and it looks like you've been very successful in doing that, certainly uh, bringing them to the NASDAQ. I see that you've overseen the successful spinoff of five companies. Um, are they all uh, in the same kind of biotech, biomedical um, uh, arena? Uh, they're all in the biopharmaceutical space. So the predecessors have been actually in Asia. Uh, so we spun off an animal health company, a vaccine company that vaccinates almost a quarter of the world's livestock, swine. Um, a, you you got to be careful to say swine, right? We can't <laughs> say pigs anymore ever since the problem in China. Is yes. that right? Yes. Yeah. Um, that, that's, that's right. So, um, yeah, no, so, so it's all been in the same, same area, um, but mostly in Asia. And then, um, the most recent one was Vaccinity and, uh, that was, you know, a combination of two predecessor companies, one focused on neurological diseases and the other one focused on COVID. So what, and, so what is Meme the, um, what is a variant inclusive COVID booster? You know, so. When we were at the White House, um, Dr. Fauci basically said, we need something that is um, more universal-like, right? So next generation, we're looking at broader coverage, um, and that's kind of where ours comes in, and more durable. So you don't want to be going out getting boosters every three months. Um, and we take what we call a multi-tope approach, and that means not just looking at the spike protein, we cover other epitopes on the virus, um, so that you have broader both B and T cell coverage. And hopefully that means that it's, um, you know, more protective against Omicron and future emerging variants, whatever they may be. Where are we in, in the timing here? Because I, 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 for one, was just, and I think a lot, most people were just so, so impressed by the ability of the, the healthcare community to come up with uh, these vaccines so quickly uh, and have them be so effective. Um, just extraordinary uh, effort there over the last several years. Where are we in terms of getting to that next generation uh, COVID treatment or, you know, a, a pill kind of thing? You know, it's, it's funny. So I would echo you. It's been unprecedented. Um, next generation is in some ways trickier because you got to figure out where you want to improve, right? There are so many areas to Im improve. Um, I think we're, we're pretty close and there are a number of other efforts. We ourselves are in a phase three pivotal trial of our compound called UB612 uh, and on track to deliver a, a top line readout later this year. Um, and if successful, you know, this study could support conditional approval of, of our vaccine in a whole bunch of jurisdictions. So I think lots of progress have been made. And I think ever since the first vaccines got on the market, people have been working on next generation ones. And again, we're focused on being able to, to address future variants, being durable, um, being able to be distributed to you know, all over the world, because at the end of the day, there's a global problem. And also something that that uh, is interesting to me, particularly is safety and tolerability, right? I want to develop the vaccine that I give my loved ones. 
um, one that doesn't necessarily make you feel sick, uh, one that you know you give your kids. So there's a bunch of stuff that that uh, everyone's working on, but we're we're looking at the next wave pretty soon. How are and uh, uh, surely it'll come. And thank thank we're thankful to people like you who are, are helping us combat it. Um, COVID though not nearly as ugly a disease as Alzheimer's or Parkinson's. And you're also working on um, drugs or therapies to fight that. Where are you? That's what really gets me going. I love it. Yes. Um, So we have shown in a number of clinical trials in humans uh, that our vaccine works to do what we want it to in Alzheimer's, Parkinson's. We're actually uh, about to actually we're, we're starting a phase one in migraine patients and um, we're also developing a vaccine against heart attack and stroke so something that can lower cholesterol on folks so uh, the alzheimer's program is you know entering its large-scale trial so we call it a phase 2b um, we've already shown that it can you know get your body to develop antibodies against these toxic amyloid oligomers we've shown that um, it can kind of it, neutralize the target um, and that in our you know last phase 2a study that we can slow the progression of decline and now we got to show it on scale so that study uh, once launched will take um, uh, you know 18 months or so to mm. complete um, so that's exciting stuff that would but, be but- incredibly exciting uh, you know because if you've watched someone suffer from either disease it's just so horrendous and so many people do and right now there's nothing, really nothing that can be done. So I think everyone is, uh, everyone is with you and hoping that you guys make some real progress there, maybe. Yeah, thank you. It is devastating. And, uh, and the one that we, we um, recently announced, just non-human primate data, is against a target called PCSK9 for hypocholesteremia, so folks with high cholesterol. Mm. You know, cardiovascular diseases are still the number one yep. killer around the world. And if you can lower cholesterol, you can make it magnificently right. large impact. So. All right, Maymay. Thank you so much for joining us. Maymay, who CEO and co-founder of the company Vaccinity, uh, a biotech company doing some important work there. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at P.T. Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.